You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join pastors Ross Anderson and Brian Dwyer every Monday as they pull back the curtain on LDS history, culture, and theology. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash Mormonism. Welcome to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast. My name is Ross Anderson, and today we're going to share with you an interview that I conducted not long ago with Sandra Tanner, and I had an opportunity to have a conversation with her at the Faith After Mormonism conference in 2019. I'd like to share with you today the first half of that conversation. For many years, uh, Gerald and Sandra, Gerald has passed away, but for many years they ha- have operated the Utah Lighthouse Ministry out of the, their bookstore in Salt Lake City. They've together published innumerable titles, which I hope you have many of them in your library. She runs a website, utlm.org, which has a vast catalog of resources on there. Especially valuable, I find, is the Salt Lake City Messenger, the the, uh, regular newsletter that uh, Sandra publishes. If you're not a subscriber to that, I really encourage you to become one because she's um, tackling a lot of significant issues and current topics uh, in Mormonism. Things as things change. Have you noticed that things change in the LDS world? Sandra's really on top of those and, and, and giving, I think, insightful analysis and how to think about those issues in light of history and in light of scripture. And so that's a really valuable resource, the Salt Lake City Messenger. But again, I think a, a significant part of, of her ministry is just talking to people. And as people explore leaving Mormonism, They'll just walk in the bookstore sometimes and and just start a conversation. And so, again, she's been the first Christian contact for countless people leaving Mormonism. Now, whether they move on to Christianity is another question, and we'll talk about that. But I asked her to come out today and just converse with me about some things that she's learned in those years of conversation. So um, here we are. We have a green light. Yeah, that's always good. We have the green light. We send her the green light today. I am technically challenged, so these on and off buttons are kind of hard. Sandra, why don't you just give us the five to ten minute version of of your own story of leaving Mormonism? Ah, boy, that's hard. Um, Okay, my husband and I were both from fifth generation Mormon families, and I'm a direct descendant of Brigham Young. Uh, Gerald's family, the Tanners, go back to the early 1830s in Mormonism. So growing up, everyone we knew was Mormon. We were both born here in Utah, but I was raised in Southern California. Down in California, my parents, who had been married in the Salt Lake Temple, but down in California, my mother had started to have questions on Mormonism. And she read Fawn Brody's book, No Man Knows My History, that started her looking into the problems of the early beginnings of Mormonism and its truth claims. So when I was going to seminary in high school, she plied me with questions that got me in trouble at seminary because I'd asked this stuff. (laughs) Anyways, um, when I got into Institute of Religion, uh, I started asking the questions for my own interest, whereas in high school it was trying to find answers for my mother. Now I'm trying to figure it out myself, which got me in trouble. And the teacher told me I couldn't ask questions anymore because I was disturbing a girl that was thinking of joining the church. <laughs> and, 
it was in, at this time in God's providence that my grandma, who'd been visiting, uh, wanted to go back to Salt Lake and asked me if I'd go back on the bus to help her with her luggage. So I came back to Salt Lake, and my grandma was going through her mail and got a little card inviting her to a meeting and asked me to drive her over to it, and I reluctantly took her. And when I got up to the door, this real nice-looking young man answered the door, and his name was Gerald Tanner. And uh, so God dropped me off at Gerald's doorstep. Uh, <laughs> and here was a young man who had been a rebellious teen, uh, drinking and smoking behind the ward house with the boys that didn't want to go to priesthood meeting. But when he got to be 18, the bishop started hinting that it was time for him to get serious and go on a mission. Well, this launched Gerald into studying the beginnings of Mormonism. Did he believe it enough to go on a mission, which he never went on the mission, but uh, that started him. And so he read the Book of Mormon, decided he believed that, and then he read the encyclopedia and on Mormonism and found out there were splinter groups, and he didn't know there were any other kind of Mormon. So he saw that there was a reorganized church here in Salt Lake. He visited them and met a man there that had a huge personal library of original Mormon books. And he started showing Gerald all the problem areas and changes in early Mormonism. So this launched Gerald into his research. Well, because of um, people in the late 50s, early 60s, there was no internet or anything like that. So how do you find other people that are studying? Well, you kind of all went through Science Bookstore because at the back of Science Bookstore was a little secret area of apostate literature. <laughs> and uh, so my grandma had been there and Gerald had been there. And uh, so they had some mutual friendships. And so that's how my grandma got on his mailing list to tell about this little meeting at his folks' house, which his folks, uh, his dad, uh, had left Mormonism, but was atheist. But his mother was a devout Mormon and taking his sisters to the Mormon church. And she was horrified that Gerald was going to have these apostate meetings at their house. So she took his sisters to see one of the seminary teachers to help fortify them against Gerald's uh, waywardness. And so here I am at this meeting and this nice young man is telling me all the stuff that my mom had said for years, that there were all kind of problems with the beginning of Mormonism. Now, Gerald had made two different trips back to Independence, Missouri and his jalopy to try to discover what the different splinter groups were and which one was true. So he's like Joseph Smith, what's the only true church? So uh, in his search, he came across a little group the Church of Christ Book of Mormon that rejected everything of Mormonism but the Book of Mormon. And through this little group, Gerald had become a Christian, but he was still hanging on to the Book of Mormon. So here he was at this meeting, real cute. You have to understand cute, okay? Uh, my whole life would have been different if this had been a middle-aged married guy. So... <laughs> So I immediately got interested in the meeting, and uh, <laughs> afterwards I went up and I said, oh, God, that's really interesting. Why don't you come over to my grandma's and tell me more? <laughs> and Gerald was so excited. He came over with all these books and photocopies, and I'm like, really? Okay. So 
anyways, uh, he finally got me to pay attention. And um, so he was telling me how Joseph Smith's revelations had been changed. So I went down to the bookstore and bought a current edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, and I bought a reprint of the 1833 Book of Commandments, which is the first printing of Joseph's revelations in book form. I went home and asked my grandma if she would read with me the Book of Commandments against the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, I did not appreciate how odd this was, that most grandmas probably wouldn't have thought this was a keen idea. Uh, I mean, my grandma was wearing her garments and everything, you know. Uh, well, I didn't know my grandma had read Fawn Brody's book. So she had questions when I brought up this idea to her. Oh, sure, sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. So <laughs> we spent days reading the Book of Commandments against the Doctrine and Covenants. And the result of that was I thought the, the creator of the universe could have said the revelations right the first time. Why would he have to go back two, three years later and reprint them and change the words? And that didn't make sense to me. And uh, well, with Gerald, meeting with Gerald, I mentioned to him, I'm a direct descendant of Brigham Young. And Gerald says, huh, um, have you ever read any of Brigham Young's sermons? And I'm like, no. And he says, well, let me bring you a few. <laughs> As a descendant, you really ought to read a few of his choice ones, you know. Well, okay, if there aren't too many. And um, so here's a sermon on uh, the only men who become gods are the ones that practice polygamy. Well, they don't teach that today. Uh, will we give up polygamy for statehood? Never. Well, that didn't work out. Uh, will the Civil War free the slave? No. Well, that one didn't work out either. Uh, Adam is our father and our God. I thought, what? Uh, so that, that one didn't make it through correlation. They didn't teach that anymore. And uh, then he showed me blood atonement. And I don't know if you've read on blood atonement, but Brigham Young used to teach that there were certain sins you could commit that the blood of Christ wouldn't cover, like murder after you've been through the temple. And for that, you would have to have your own blood shed to atone for it. And Gerald had me read a sermon from the Journal of Discourses, and this is approximately what it says. Brigham says, suppose I found my brother in bed with my wife, I would immediately put a javelin through them both, and this would save them, and they would have exaltation, and I would be justified, and this is really what it means to love your neighbor. And then it goes further and says that there are certain sins you can commit that the blood of Christ won't cover. And when I read that sermon, my world fell apart. And I just sat there in shock, and I thought, God never told him to preach that sermon. Well, if God didn't tell the prophet of God to preach that sermon, then is he a prophet of God? So this was the beginning of my journey out of Mormonism and the beginning of Gerald's and my courtship, which all centered around studying Mormon history. Uh, <laughs> what a courtship. Um, <laughs> we had one spaghetti dinner at a restaurant. Other than that, it was all studying Mormonism. And uh, <laughs> it sounds so stupid now, but it, that's, you know, that's the way it went. And so along the way, Gerald's telling me that, well, see, you need to throw everything out and just believe the Bible and Book of Mormon because they teach there's only one God, and the Doctrine and Covenants teach many gods. The Bible and Book of Mormon say there's only heaven and hell. The Doctrine and Covenants says there's 
the three levels of heaven. And so Gerald's showing me the difference in these books to the other half of the script, Mormon scriptures. So I concluded, okay, scrap everything but the Book of Mormon. So we had a whirlwind romance and shocked everyone I knew that I was getting married to an apostate and um, we weren't getting married in the temple and I was having a Protestant minister marry us. You know, like what? And um, well, I have to tell you, I didn't know there were different kind of pastors. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize not all of them were Christians. <laughs> I found out after this guy married us, he didn't even believe in the resurrection. So I might as well had the bishop marry us as far as thinking I had a Christian minister marrying us. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, you learn. So we lived in California the first year of our marriage, and Gerald took me around to different churches hoping that I would realize what it meant to follow Christ. Finally, through listening to a Christian radio program one day in my home, I came to faith in Christ. But we still were hanging on to the Book of Mormon. And that took us another almost three years to deal with that because no one knew how to show us why the Book of Mormon couldn't be history. Why couldn't it be believed like the Bible? Ministers uh, all tried. The different churches would visit. The pastor would try to talk to us about Mormonism. And they, he would always start with, you know, well, they believe in plural gods or they got this temple work and, you know, those kind of areas. And was it fine? I don't believe that. I just believe the Book of Mormon. Well, the pastors didn't know enough about Mormonism to explain to us why the Book of Mormon couldn't be uh, scripture. They just knew this general theology of Mormonism, which we had rejected. So it wasn't until we moved back to Salt Lake that we met people that had studied the Book of Mormon enough to show us why it didn't make it historically. Uh, there's no artifacts, no language, no people group, no location, no map. And people uh, that we now met could show us the difference between biblical archeology span and the lack of it for the Book of Mormon. So finally, we set aside the Book of Mormon as well. But during this process, all our family and friends said that we were crazy. We're just two young, dumb kids. Uh, and we hadn't proven our point. And so we would write up little pamphlets with all our little research and give them out to everyone we knew. I sent them to the ward mailing list. Uh, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, it's just... Well, like I say, two dumb kids, you know, we didn't know we weren't supposed to do this stuff. And we thought everyone would want to know. <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> wow, I wanted to know. How come you guys don't want to know? Uh, and my mom, who had started this all, she was upset because becoming a Christian, I was leaving my Mormon heritage so that it was one thing to not believe, but it's another to leave. And uh, I mean, we had our names taken off. Well, back in the, in 59 and 60, you didn't get your name taken off. You had to be excommunicated. It was the only way you could get your name off the rolls. And so we both went to our church courts uh, for our excommunications. But my mom and those in the family that didn't believe Mormonism, would say to us, well, why take your name off? What difference does it make? 
just go with it, you know, just drop out, become inactive, but you don't have to leave. Because they knew that if I took that extra step, I was making a cut in my relationships that was much deeper than just becoming inactive. And I had to tell my family, but I don't want people to think of me as just a dropout Mormon. I want them to know that I'm a Christian and I'm not trusting in Mormonism. So that, uh, those of you that left, you know the kind of problems this makes in your family. I had all kind of arguments with my grandparents. Uh, my dad, who had been inactive, suddenly woke up and starts arguing for priesthood. Uh, so it was, it was very hard. The first year out of Mormonism, it seemed like all I did was cry. Because every time I got around any family, it was just butting heads. Well, we moved back to Salt Lake to do more research through the libraries here. And we just kept putting out bigger and bigger research pamphlets to prove that Mormonism didn't meet its claims. Well, it grew into industry. <laughs> And we ended up writing books and having a bookstore and spending our whole life researching on this. Uh, but it all started because two dumb kids raised their hand and asked questions. So That's awesome. So you mentioned a couple of things that were pivotal for you in terms of the issues, mm -hmm. uh, Brigham Young and some of the history stuff. Um, you want to just kind of focus for us along with those things. What, are, what were the key issues? for you guys that shook your faith in the LDS church? Well, it was seen that Joseph Smith's revelations had been revised. We started reading books on the Bible and started understanding the process of translation, uh, background archeology span and history for the Bible. And we started to see the difference in that Mormonism didn't have that kind of support and underpinning for it. Uh, it was seeing all of the doctrines of Mormonism change through the years, that how could this be the work of God? Of course, polygamy entered into it. How could you have such a crazy idea? Uh, obviously, the church moved away from it. <laughs> uh, so there was, it was all of those kinds of areas. By believing the Book of Mormon on her kind of backing out of Mormonism, it made me accept a lot of Christian doctrine earlier than maybe a lot of other people leaving Mormonism would have, because by reading the Book of Mormon, I realized it taught just one God. So I didn't struggle with the Godhead like a lot of Mormons do leaving, <laughs> because of going through the circuitous route through the Book of Mormon that only teaches one God. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So. How are, I mean, as you, people come into the bookstore today, how are the issues that contemporary Mormons wrestling with, how are they similar and how are they different from those, you know, the things you guys wrestled with originally? Well, because we ride on all these issues, uh, a lot of the people I see are coming out for the same reasons we did. Uh, we just have more research on it now than when we first started looking at it. Uh, in recent years, the uh, research that was done on the Book of Abraham was a major factor in a lot of people coming out. In the 80s, it was mainly the Mark Hoffman murders and the fact that the Brethren didn't see that he was a fraudster 
and Gerald did, so it was kind of a man bites dog story, not what you're expecting for Gerald to come out and say the guy's a fraud. Because people would have expected mm -hmm. you guys to the support it. To, you're right. Because it because it because if you guys remember the Mark Hoffman salamander letter forgery, because it was critical of the church. Right. And everyone would have expected us to jump on board and say, Yay, our team, we got proof Joseph's uh, involved in magic. And Gerald says, Sorry guys, I don't think it's an authentic letter. And when it came out that it wasn't authentic, and Mark did a couple of murders, then the couple of uh, three major paperbacks were written on the Mark Hoffman case in the 1980s that showed Gerald was the first one to question the documents. And this changed our world because up till then, the Mormons all were sure we were liars and evil, bad people. And when they saw that Gerald was the only one with discernment to see that Mark's documents were frauds, we had people just pouring into our bookstore saying, okay, I'm ready to listen to the other side of the story now. But nowadays, uh, with the internet, it is so easy to find problem areas of Mormonism, and then who do you talk to? So the people that go on the internet, they find these troubling questions, they find out about me, now that Gerald's dead, they find out about me, and they come into the bookstore to talk to me. So I have Mormons come in every week to talk to me about their struggles with what do I do now? Uh, can I still believe? Is there some way to find answers to all these things? So like you said, I'm many times the first uh, ex-Mormon that they may talk to, which is very scary for them. And the, uh, people always say to me, you're not anything like I was expecting. <laughs> because they all have me pictured as some sort of witch. And, <laughs> and they come and say, well, geez, you're not scary. <laughs> I said, that's the sneaky part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you haven't uh, fooled with your kindness, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people, you know, I think we're all aware that a lot of people as they're leaving Mormonism are opting for atheism or at least yes. agnosticism. Right. Um, why did you and Gerald choose not to reject all faith as you exited Mormonism? I think we both had a desire for God, and we had each had spiritual experiences in our life that had helped us to hang on to a basic idea that there was a, a God, a power out there. And uh, many of these other Mormons have too, and I don't know why they walk away from it so quickly uh, and doubt it, but we never doubted there was a God. We just didn't know who he was. Right, and he had to be different than the yeah. picture that you grew yeah. up with. Yeah, but he was real. So I'm curious about, you know, many are, like I said, are choosing the pathway of atheism. Mm -hmm. What are some other directions that people end up going after they encounter you? And, and they're working this through, and obviously you're one voice in their life, but what are some of the different directions or the options that people end up choosing after they leave Mormonism? Well, besides the atheist or agnostic route, they go into New Age stuff. Some women go into uh, Wicca. <laughs> right. Uh, and they're looking for some 
if they don't go atheist, they're looking for some sort of spiritual experience that is not tied to any church. Um, that's not really Christian. It's just warm, fuzzy spiritual stuff or something. Right, and it doesn't have uh, an authoritarian hierarchy right. associated with right. it, right? Yeah. Uh, Mormons that are realizing the brethren misrepresented things to them have a knee-jerk reaction against any kind of authority, any kind of leadership, any church, because they don't want to be fooled again. They don't want someone to control them again. They don't want to be uh, led down a blind path, uh, which is why most of them will look for a non-denominational church, because they're looking for something without a hierarchy of a big church umbrella. Mm -hmm, they right. want this kind of independent sort of approach to mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a struggle for them, though, because our services are so different than uh, the ward. Uh, it's, it is a real culture shock. And so I, yeah, I try talk, to let's talk about that. So, that. so what, kind of, what are the kind of, kind of things that you are telling people to prepare for the culture shock of Christianity? Okay, so I may give them a list of churches, or I may tell them some uh, several churches in their area, whatever. And I said, but now if you visit them, I want you to know ahead of time, don't go in your suit. <laughs> uh, I mean, not that anyone would care that you came in a suit, but you're going to be uncomfortable because you're going to be the only person there that's wearing one, and you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Everyone's going to know a Mormon visited church today. <laughs> so, so I just advise you, don't wear your suit. Uh, and you have to be prepared for them having a band. This is a real hard thing for uh, someone straight out of a ward that's quiet, boring, stayed, nothing unusual happens, and you can hardly get anyone to sing. And even the fast songs are slow. Yeah. <laughs> There's one tempo. Yes. Our choir leader at my ward would just plead with people to sing, please, you know. And, and here they come in, and all the Christians are all over the place, and, I, you know, they're going to be waving, they might be clapping, and uh, the pastor's going to be in uh, his cutoffs or something, and maybe <laughs> flip-flops, you know, you just don't know. And, and it's going to look irreverent. Uh, but it's not. You have to see past that, that, that there's a heart for God there, even though it doesn't look like what you picture church looks like. They picture everyone's in suit and ties, and it looks like Easter, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's all choir music, you know, organ and all of that. And it's probably not going to be that, you know. But it is hard. People tell me that it's hard visiting another church. When I first went to another church in California, of course it's California, that's weird anyways, but <laughs> this is back in, in uh, 1960, and this lady's sitting in front of me, and she's in a spaghetti strap sundress. And I'm like, oh, my word, can you believe this, that someone would come to church like that, you know? Uh, and they had coffee in the lobby, it was just, it was just absolutely, you know, wow, uh, Sin City. <laughs> so 
so, and we, and back then it was still music would have sounded like the Mormons as far as that goes. They had an organ and stuff, but the, but the look of people was casual. Uh, so it, and in today, it's even more of a shock than when I left. So it's hard. Yeah, it's even more casual and all the rest. So that is good. That's interesting. Back to the, the question, of, so we have some people agnostic, atheists, some people into sort of new age spirituality or self-styled spirituality. Some people do end up seeking a relationship with Jesus. Um, why do you think so many people nowadays are moving toward atheism and, and agnosticism in spite of, you know, maybe their positive, maybe their religious experiences they even had? Um, what, why do you think that, what, what trends or kind of what factors are making that such a appealing destination? The more active you were as a Mormon, generally speaking, the more anger you're going to have when you leave because you invested yourself more in it and the deception to you is more profound. And when you've gone through that deeper hurt, I, I compare it to like finding out that your mate was running the local brothel and you're so shocked over this that your divorce is so messy that you can't love again, or at least not for a long time. And it's very much the same kind of attitudes when you come out of Mormonism. If you were deeply hurt by it, you aren't ready to love again. You aren't ready for that church relationship again. You can't trust again. And I tell people it takes time to get over that hurt or that anger. Uh, and you may have given up a lot of things for Mormonism. So it makes the cut even deeper in you when you find out it wasn't true. So I think that's why uh, the, the more you got hurt by it, the harder it's going to be for you to believe anything again. Right. Once burned, twice shy. Right. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the idea of sharing with idea, people the idea of patience. Yeah. Uh, what else would maybe you advise someone who's maybe leaning toward or toying with that? I know a lot of people end up, it seems like anecdotally, end up going through at least an atheist phase, yeah. but come out of it at some point. Right. But what, what kind of advice do you give to someone who is maybe leaning toward just rejecting faith at wholesale? Well, I try to encourage them to uh, read some books on the uh, formation of the New Testament canon, the preservation of the New Testament, to get a little more background of why Christians still hang on to it, to why they haven't walked away from it all like the atheists have. And many of the Mormons have never considered taking that second look. They uh, just, they're through with Mormonism, they're through with everything. And I encourage different people that just as you've now seen that the church leaders misrepresented Mormonism to you, I would challenge you that they also misrepresented Christianity to you. And just as you took a, you're now taking a second look at Mormonism, you need to take a second look at Christianity. Because what you think you know about the Bible and Christianity is tainted by Mormonism. Uh, and give it another chance. Thanks for tuning in to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast on PursueGod.org. I'm Ross Anderson. I hope that the interview was a blessing to you. We're going to share the second half of the interview in a future podcast. Be sure to tune in then. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite 
podcast app that really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.